I'm Ezra Fieldsmeyer. And I'm Casey Cantrell. And welcome to Animation and Beyond. And on this episode, we are continuing our Animation April. This is part two, and we are talking about which eras of Disney animation today. The Silver Age. And the Dark Age. So we'll be getting into those eras, talking about the movies that were made then, trends and patterns and that sort of thing, fun facts. But before we do, let's answer last week's trivia question. Although The Three Caballeros is not among Disney's most well-known films, it did inspire a ride at Epcot. What is the name of that ride? It's called Grand Fiesta Tour, starring the Three Caballeros. And it's in Epcot's Mexico Pavilion, and it replaced an attraction which was one of Epcot's original rides called El Rio del Tiempo. Like, is it a dark ride, or...? It's a dark ride, and you I think you go in a boat, and it has animatronics as well. So that was the answer to last week's trivia question. Stick around to the end of the episode for this week's trivia question. For now, let's get started on our feature presentation. So after World War II, Walt Disney went back to doing feature-length films. Yes, ones that were actually features and were not package movies. He did it starting with Cinderella in 1950. Mm -hmm. And how long did the Silver Age last? Until 1967 with The Jungle Book. Which uh, was the last Disney film that Walt Disney himself would work on before he passed away. Yeah. So yeah, we start with uh, Cinderella, which kind of like Snow White was an adaptation of a popular fairy tale. We all know the story of it very well about a poor young girl who lives with a cruel, evil stepmother and her stepsisters. And then there's the fairy godmother who can make her dreams come true. And she goes to the ball and she has to be there until midnight, as we all remember. This was the movie that kind of started the evil stepmother trope of Disney films, I think. It's interesting because in a lot of ways, it's very traditional, kind of like Snow White in terms of its animation, in term, in terms of its storytelling. Yeah. But the films following it, at least the few films after, kind of deviated from a, a little bit in, in some ways that we'll discuss, kind of deviated from that standard of that very classic traditional animation. Like their next feature was Alice in Wonderland which was based on Lewis Carroll's classic story. And it was it's one of Disney's weirdest and most unusual movies. And then I, I'm also going to mention uh, Peter Pan, because that was the film afterwards that was made after this one. Also adapted from a famous story, but kind of similar to Alice in Wonderland in that it's a very surreal kind of story. I know, and it was the final Disney film in which all of the nine members of Disney's Nine Old Men worked together as directing animators. These pair of films, Alice in Wonderland and Peter Pan, were very, very different from what came before. I know, yeah. Peter Pan has Tinkerbell, one of Disney's most iconic That's characters. True. Can you tell us a little bit about how these movies were different from their predecessors? In some ways, they were a bit more comedic and a bit more and a kind of funnier, like 
Alice in Wonderland had a lot of silly characters, a lot of weird things going on in that movie. Yeah. About little little girl who goes down the rabbit hole to a strange place called Wonderland where there's a lot of strange things going on and it's hard to keep track of them. And then Peter Pan, it's also kind of a similar story of these kids being taken to a mysterious land to Neverland. I know. With, uh, by Peter Pan himself, who is a boy that never ages. And it's also... Never grows up, as we all know. Yeah, and it's kind of this surreal... Especially for Alice in Wonderland, if they took the pink elephant scene from Dumbo and made that a whole movie. It's, like, very out there. But, of course, that, that makes sense, because, like, the story Alice in Wonderland is also <laughs> very out there. Lots of, like, crazy surreal imagery and i know yes and there's the queen of hearts also the villain the, we all know the villain of peter pan is captain hook who has a hook for a hand because because we all know there's the tiktok crocodile that ate his hand right right and there, there's his hilarious sidekick smee so yeah and uh how did these films do alice in wonderland and peter pan how did they do with audiences at the time Initially, Alice in Wonderland, though, was panned by critics when it was first released. It wasn't initially successful critically. But since then, as it's been re-released, it's been regarded as one of Disney's most beloved and treasured animated classics. And what about Peter Pan? I think um, that one I think was a bit more successful than its previous film, initially. Which that makes sense, because... They, again, they were kind of out there, and, and I think it's it's they were the kind of films that would become cult films, right? Uh, especially yes. Alice in Wonderland. So that makes a lot of sense. And then Lady and the Tramp. Right, which is kind of a step back into something a little bit more normal, I guess, for Disney. Like the first of their many about dogs. And Lady and the Tramp about two dogs falling in love. And then there's the iconic scene where they fall in love and they eat spaghetti with meatballs. Uh-huh. And there's the iconic song, We Are Siamese, like those two sneaky Siamese cats, which are heard has become one of the most racist things in classic Disney films. That's true. And the, sort of piggybacking off of what we were saying last time about Song of the, song of the South these films and, and at least with lady and the tramp and peter pan the indians was as one of disney's most racist yeah, in their the, classics the native american characters in peter pan are just uh, laughably offensive much like alice in wonderland peter pan initially i mean lady and the tramp actually initially received mixed to negative reviews when it was first came out but in later years like it is today it was well received and is is highly acclaimed today for being one of Disney's most treasured and most loved classics. Yeah, so at the time it wasn't received too well. Uh, and so Disney, it seems like with their next film at least, tried to go back to the old formula with Sleeping Beauty. Yes. Again, a very traditional type animated film based on a very classic fairy tale. I know, yes, and it had... Aurora Briar Rose raised in a cottage by three fairies, and she's cursed by an evil sorceress named Maleficent, and she's cursed to prick her finger on a spinning wheel, as we all remember. And how did Sleeping Beauty do compared to previous films? I think a bit more successful than Disney's previous three movies. 
three movies they had produced. And it the had it, the feeling of it had had the heart and the charm of Snow White with like the Briar Rose character. I remember as a kid often being confused by the two films because they they both involve the main character going to sleep, right? And like being poisoned and 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 being cast into this like magical sleep. I know and like the evil queen and maleficent are very similar villains. Right, exactly. But what's interesting is that even despite its success, um you were telling me this as that this would be the last fairy tale movie or fairy tale adaptation rather that Disney would do until The Little Mermaid about what 30 30 years later, 30 yes. 30 years later, yeah. And it was also the last with the, with the ink and paint technology. And can you explain that for people who don't know? Like the style was different with that, and that they used from Snow White until Sleeping Beauty. Like with certain colors and how they, before they did it on paper, used machines to make, used newer machines to make. To make their movies. Yeah, like with print technology. Which they would switch to starting with 101 Dalmatians in 1961. A classic one from back then. And it's interesting to me because this is this movie along with the along with the next couple of movies that they made for the Silver Age, uh, Sword in the Stone and Jungle Book. I don't know. They kind of represent to me a, a shift in the kind of movies that Disney was making and perhaps foreshadow what was to come next in the Dark Age where they, they kind of went away from the formulas that they knew that worked for them and tried to embrace telling different stories. Yeah, you see, like 101 Dalmatians is loosely based on a novel by called The 101 Dalmatians by Dottie Smith. Yeah, but it's also like, you know, again, it's another movie about dogs. Uh, so it kind of gets away from the sort of princess trope. And it's more about like, this family of dogs like trying to escape you know capture by Cruella de Vil yeah like Cruella de Vil who kidnaps 15 puppies from Pongo and Perdita two Dalmatians and she later kidnaps additional puppies 84 more of them and she plots on turning them into fur coats (laughs) yeah Uh, and then Sword in the Stone and Jungle Book in my mind kind of are Similar, they're they're very different stories, but there's a similarity in that they both feature boy protagonists. You know, there had been animal protagonists, there certainly had been princess protagonists. Well, there was a boy protagonist in, uh, that was Peter Pan, the title character. That's true. I don't know, yeah, but I don't know if he was necessarily the main character. I would argue the kids were more of the main characters in that Wendy, movie. J- Wendy Ma- John, and Michael. Yeah, exactly. I get it, yes. So, but Sword in the Stone and Jungle Book really focused on boys, like a singular boy as as the main character of their stories. Sword in the Stone, of course, is an adaptation of the King Arthur myth, and Jungle Book is also an ad- adaptation about that set in, in a jungle. <laughs> in India, yes, and based on Rudyard Kipling's classic novel. It's worth noting that that novel and the initial movie has taken on a lot of heat for its uh, insensitive depictions of different cultures. I know, and like Baloo in the original story was serious, but they made him more playful in the Disney version. Right. 
to me, it kind of represents like Disney trying to shift away. Uh, on that note, I suppose we should go to the Dark Age. So can you tell us a little bit about the Dark Age? When did it take place? First in 1970, starting with the Aristocats. And it lasted through 1988. With Oliver and company. Yeah. So this is kind of, it's a weird and interesting mishmash of films. So yeah, like we started with the Aristocats, which in a lot of ways felt like the cat version of 101 Dalmatians, where we follow these cat characters going around doing their thing, trying to avoid capture. Yep. And like get kidnapped by a, their owner's greedy butler, Edgar. And then we also have, after the Aristocats, we have... Robin Hood, which based on the famous Ro- R- R- legend of Robin Hood. And it had Robin Hood, who's, who's an outlaw who, with his best friend, Little John, who steals gold from the evil and greedy and gives it to the poor, weak, and innocent. Well, it's also worth noting that all the characters in this version of Robin Hood are actually animals. So, like, Robin Hood himself is a fox. Little John's a bear, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And then Prince John is a mountain lion. He's the evil and greedy ruler of Nottingham. Again, you're going to start to, you're going to see a bit of a trend here because the film right after this was also the first package film since the 40s, The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, which we've talked about on our Winnie the Pooh episode. And it had the three shorts from previously used put together as one movie. And it was Disney's first package film since The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. So moving on very quickly, there's um, what was the film that came after that? That same year? That was um, The Rescuers. Which I've never heard of before you told me about it. So what, what, what is that movie? About two mice who work named Bianca and Bernard who work for a... Uh, World Rescue Organization worked to save a little girl, orphan girl named Penny from an evil, ambitious woman named Madame Medusa who forces her to to find a small devil's eye diamond in a small cave. So it's a movie that exists, like I said at the beginning of the this section. And then we have Fox and the Hound. And if you haven't noticed by now the trend of all these movies so far, they're all movies with animal main characters yeah the fox and the hound yes i know yeah so um and for me at least fox and the hound felt like a movie that was trying to replicate bambi in a lot of ways like it was about death in some ways and it had some dark and sad moments yeah but it was me it was about a fox and the hound who have an unlikely friendship which is not meant to be that way because hounds are meant to hunt foxes Right, and that's the whole conflict of the the movie. And as and as to- and as Copper gets older, he's forced by his owner Amos to hunt Todd. I I think this is kind of like part of why these films start to kind of blend together because they're all about mm-hmm. animals, and they're kind of all telling stories that have already been told before by Disney. But let's get to the next film which uh, almost single-handedly brought down the entire studio. That was The Black Cauldron, which came out in 1985, and it was a dark fantasy movie and is easily regarded as one of Disney's scariest animated films they've made. 
it was about a boy named Taryn who meets a girl named Ilan Wee, and they team up with a man and also a creature named Gurgi to defeat the evil Horned King. And that film is known for being one of Disney's most failed animated films, and it was the first to feature computer-generated imagery, and that film was a critical commercial failure, resulting for a loss for Disney and putting the future of the animation departed jeopardy. Just to illustrate how bad it was, so the the film was made for $44 million, um, which again, this is $44 million back in 1985, but it only made uh, $21 million. So they lost more than 100% of their money on this, on this And film. the animation of it didn't look so Disney-like. Yeah, it just, it really felt completely out of whack. Like we said, it nearly single-handedly brought down the studio. Yes, but, but miraculously, their following film they made was The Great Mouse Detective. And that film was a better critical and commercial success. Right, it kind of righted the ship. It's not like the most profound movie. It's not the most interesting movie. But what it did, it did well enough to sort of get back in the graces of of Disney's audiences. I know. And it would lead to, is kind of a precursor to the Renaissance era, which we'll talk about in the next episode. Yes, and it was their Disney's first animated feature directed by John Musker and Ron Clements, who would later direct films later, such as Little Mermaid, Aladdin, Princess and the Frog, and Moana. Yeah, we will talk about those more in the next episodes. This, it was about, it was like a mouse retelling of Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, so that, that closed the dark age, the truly the darkest age of Disney animation. But things do get brighter, and we will be talking about that next week. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate your time. If you like what we do, consider supporting us on patreon.com slash animation and beyond. In the meantime, we've got a trivia question from Ezra. We're going to play a clip from a movie. Can you name the movie and the voice actor from this clip that we will that we are playing all right now kid loosen up get real loose and then start to weave weave a little now move that's it now give me a big bear growl scare me oh boy i'm talking about like a big bear Okay, so if you know the answer, give us a shout on Facebook or send us an email at animationandbeyond at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode of Animation and Beyond. Bye! See you later. (laughs) 